The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for April 29th. Uh, was it episode 115? Right? Yes, 115. Uh, this is Rob Reck and... This is Alex Wood. Well, Alex, how has your weekend been? You know, it's been wonderful, nice and sunny. Um, although I hear it's uh, supposed to be wintry again come beginning of the week. Is it going to snow? That's what I heard. Hmm. Well, this is uh, Avengers Endgame weekend. Should should we throw out spoilers for people? Uh, yes. So, uh, spoilers, Superman <laughs> joins the Avengers. And he uses his x-ray vision to see that in, into Thanos' uh, soul and see he's actually a good guy after all. Exactly. Um, this is all a good thing. Half the world should die. Let's move on. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, it was a good movie. I, I know we both enjoyed it. For those who haven't seen it yet, you know, go do it. I think it is worthwhile. Yeah. All right. Why don't we go ahead and jump in? We have our uh, our housekeeping. There is a Slack channel. This is a, a place where you guys can come be a part of an active and thriving security community. We have almost 900 people chatting on a regular basis about what's going on in, in town. We are getting really close to 900. Uh, we also have a mailing list. If you go to our website, colorado-security.com, you can find lots of things there, including a link to the Slack channel. But also, at the bottom of the page, you can sign up for our mailing list. That mailing list will get you the show notes uh, when the new episodes are released. So if you want to be the first one to get those show notes and all the details of the episode, sign up there. If you also want to get the episodes delivered directly onto your favorite dev listening device, uh, you can go sign up on either iTunes a Podcast Store or the Google Play Store. Have that delivered in there. We'd also love it if you would rate us and review us uh, positively on those places. It helps us find new listeners, which is, of course, uh, you know, a big part of what we're trying to do here. In addition to that, we'd love if you tell all your friends how wonderful Colorado Equals Security is. Tell them to go subscribe to the podcast. Uh, tell them to join the Slack channel. Spread the word. Yeah, that's it, awesome. And of course, if, if you want to help even more than that, we would love your financial support uh, at Patreon. Uh, a link to the Patreon page is also on colorado-security.com. Uh, what you guys do with that financial support allows us to do more stuff in the community. You know, the swag that we've given out, you know, previously we'd, we'd been paying with that out of our own pocket. We're now able to use the Patreon donations, uh, the costs for hosting the website, the costs for the email list, all the things that go into supporting this um, come out of that Patreon um, campaign. We've, we've made a commitment to you that any money that you give through that will go directly back out to the community. None of it goes into Alex's own pocket. Um, that's and, true. But, and the more you guys are able to help us, the more we'll be able to do to, to help improve the community. So we do appreciate what you guys do there. We definitely do. Uh, let's jump into the news. First story in a strange twist, uh, Occidental, which is a, another oil and gas company challenges Chevron's bid for Anadarko, uh, with a even bigger offer. Well, the first offer was like $33 billion and this new yeah. one is 57 billion. Yeah. That's crazy. We're, we're getting some really, really big numbers here. Part of this also uh, Occidental says that they are better positioned to take advantage of Anadarko and the capabilities that they have. You know, they're, they're better partners than they would be with Chevron. So that's sort of their selling point as well as, a, you know, a boatload of more cash. So apparently, and I didn't I didn't pay attention to this the first time the the uh, Chevron offer came out, but the analysts had already foreseen this as a possibility and don't actually think much of Occidental's offer. They don't think that they're going to be able to win. Apparently this will just drive up Chevron's purchase price and Chevron will still be the winner from the, what that's what the street seems to think is going to happen here. Yeah. I, I think I also saw in the article that there is a, uh, there's a breakup price. So if, um, 
if they do decide to go with Occidental, then Chevron still gets some sort of payout because they I think were it was the a billion dollars. They, right? they were the first one. Yeah. You know, just an extra billion dollars because that didn't go yeah. through. Eh, no biggie. Um, speaking of things, there there is a new uh, RTD line, a new light rail line. So RTD, the G line, which goes from Union Station out to Wheat Ridge, uh, I think it's out to Ward Road, has now finally opened after years of waiting. Yeah, so this uh, is a, a new line that uses the same commuter rail that the A-Line does out to the airport. So it's not the same light rail trains that go around downtown. It's the, the slightly larger trains. And it's been delayed for a long time because they've been having the same problems there as they did on the A-Line. The uh, the crossing signals were not meeting the, the specifications, and so they just didn't open the line until they had solved that for the A-Line. But this should be good for anyone who lives along that corridor, you know, it was a Arvada, Westminster-type corridor out to the northwest. Yep. Uh, it's a new way to get to work downtown. Yeah, it goes north almost to I-76 and then west sort of along I-70, um, as you said, out to uh, Ward Road. So, and as we as we gain a new light rail, we're looks like we're going to be losing a, a bus service. Uh, sort of. I don't we'll, know. I'm we'll making be, that part up. We'll be losing a bus station. So, the Denver Greyhound bus station, which is downtown, um, I'm sure many people have driven by it downtown before. Um, it occupies an entire city block, and that has recently gone up or is going up on the market uh, to to be sold that whole block. So, it's at, uh, it's at like 21st or 22nd and Arapaho. Yeah. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a very interesting opportunity. Um, you don't get a whole city block that comes up for sale very often. Uh, Greyhound is still operating out of that uh, station, but their plans are to move that most likely to Union Station. They talked about that before, but at the time didn't have the money to make that move. I'd imagine they're going to get the money out of this sale. Right. So this is the Greyhound Station was built in 1975, 44-year-old. Uh, trans- is that the year you were born, Alex? It is. the. You know what? This is. It's very sad that we're going to lose this Greyhound bus station. It's oh. the same age as I am. Uh, so it's a 50,000 square foot facility. Uh, if you guys have ever been there, it also has a second floor parking lot above it. It is pretty run down. I was down there a year or so ago and, and thought, man, this place could, could really use a facelift. Apparently, it's going to get a lot more than a facelift here. Um, looks like the, the initial offers are due by the end of May. Uh, final offers due by June 21st, and assuming they get enough interest, uh, it will be sold. A, a, a purchaser will be will be uh, selected by July 1st. Yeah, I believe it said that it's it's zoned very liberally too. So you could have I want to say it was as big as a 30 story building on that site. So that would be a pretty interesting addition to the Denver skyline. Yeah, uh, moving along, there is a tech company in town called Health Scholars. That, that actually is, is built to use virtual reality and augmented reality to help do training for healthcare providers. Yeah, uh, this is pretty cool. They The first simulation that they did through this uh, technology was back in July of last year, and it was really uh, training doctors and nurses what to do in the event of a fire in, in the operating room. So it's, you know, hey, a virtual fire, uh, figure out what you have to do right. in, a, in a safe way. So, you know, the other options that, that people could do instead of this were we're doing like an e-learning, you know, computer-based training, or they could have people going to a simulation room. Probably, you know, e-learning is not nearly as, um, you know, as re- valuable. It doesn't really put you in this situation. And the problem with the simulation is you have to go travel to the offsite simulation place. There's back backfill costs because you have to have someone at the hospital working. Um, so using this virtual reality technology reduces... Uh, or saves companies about a hundred thousand dollars just in backfill pay. Backfill pay, they say, and really the overall savings is somewhere between fifty and seventy percent versus doing those simulation trainings. That is pretty cool. Uh, always nice to see cool technology that also saves you money. They also mentioned a second uh, 
type of simulation that they've already created uh, as at the request of their customers. It was around what to do for a routine event, which is an ad, ad, advanced cardiac life support, also known as a code blue. Ah, interesting. Uh, next, uh, CSG plans to take blockchain mainstream for telecom payments. So CSG is a, a company that was originally part of First Data, and they provide support for system and services for payments around the telecommunications industry. And they are developing a new product that uses blockchain uh, to make those payments easier. Well, I know that they, they created a lab, right? At least as the first point. I don't think they have a product yet. They created a lab, which is where they're supposed to be playing with blockchain and figuring out how to get it um, integrated with their product, uh, which is called Interconnect. And, and I, I didn't know much about CSG, so this article actually was my first real exposure. I guess Interconnect is used for telcos from different countries. Um, you know, as you know, let's say you're an AT&T customer and you, you go overseas uh, to to a Europe to Europe, and AT&T will arrange with whatever European carrier they have an agreement with to get to pay them for your service while you're there. Right. And Interconnect is that is that hub that's used for that international charging. So it, it seems like a place where you know maybe blockchain could make sense. Uh, I'm going to call baloney. Uh, and say that there are probably other ways that this could be handled just fine without blockchain. Um, but I appreciate the fact that they are looking at all possible avenues to, to make this new payment system work. Um, and that sounds like about all uses of blockchain, right? All right. Uh, next, we have some some blogs here this week for, from ThreadX. ThreadX is our local web application firewall company um, up north, I think, in Broomfield or some such. Um, they have a, a web application firewalls 101, and they go through some keywords that you should understand uh, in order to really understand how application security and specifically how WAFs work. Yeah, they talk a lot of, about different terms, uh, active dece deception, um, attacker fingerprinting, bot detection, uh, the cybersecurity kill chain, which is always an important one. Everybody needs to know about the kill chain. So they have 10, 10 phrases here that you should learn about and they actually define what those are as well. Maybe take a look, but they make it clear that these are just, if you look alphabetically, they only go A through C. So there's a lot more terms coming in future blog posts. I look forward to our new terms. Um, in all reality, this is actually a very good place if uh, you want to refer somebody uh, just as a reference point, lots of good terms and their definitions there. Uh, next, we had a blog post from Ping Identity talking about killing the password for consumers. And this is actually a, a really good blog post uh, talking about um, consumer identity and all of the ways that, uh, that you can have them authenticate, uh, different ways for MFA, um, and even some talk about um, password lists and, and other things for right. authentication. I like they got into some actual scenarios later in the blog post talking about um, specific ways that you can improve the user experience. Uh, so they have one scenario where, uh, you know, let's say someone goes to make an especially large purchase online. You know, you have your, your if you're an e-retailer, um, someone wants to go, you know, make a $5,000 purchase. Well, you could send a, a push notification to their phone, which, you know, they've already established with you saying, hey, you're making, you're looking to make an, a large request, you know, $5,000. Do you want to approve it? And, you know, yes or no. So a really low friction way to get a higher level of assurance that someone really meant to do this transaction. Yeah. Th th there's also talk about different ways where you can do multi-factor and, you know, how it, you, you talked about the frictionless piece, Rob, you know, it's, hey, let's do it with a push notification instead of an SMS, you know, it makes it even easier and more secure. You don't have to go find where that text message came in and find the code and enter it in your app. 
Uh, you get a push notification, simple. And easy. you have the context on the push too. Exactly. So the push doesn't, it doesn't just have to be like a, a swipe. Yes. To approve. It can say specifically um, like, for example, you call in a call center and, and instead of it being asked, what's your mother's maiden name and what street did you live on as a kid? Um, they push it up text or excuse me, a notification to your phone that says a customer service rep is trying to verify your identity and you can say approve, right? Yeah. Really clear, clear what's going on and a really good user experience. Exactly. Anyway, good blog. Um, I recommend that one. Take a look. Uh, next, there was a blog post from Coal Fire talking about a day in the life of a cybersecurity professional. And I think that there have been a few of these blog posts um, over the last few months. And this one is from uh, Soheb Adil. Um, and just talking about his journey, starting with coal fire yeah. and uh, he actually he talks about like how he even got into security in the first place. Right. He was a young guy with a tech, um, a tech leaning and, and trying to decide what career made sense. And he talks through why he chose security and what that's looked like, what he does on a day-to-day -day activity and, and gives some advice for others who may be looking to go this way. So I would suggest this is a great blog post to, to share with your your, your kids or your nephew or cousins or whoever it is who might be thinking about security as a next career path just to get one data point about somebody else. Great point. Um, next, we have a blog from Optiv called Mythbusters, debunking five common identity and data management myths. So this is a clearly, as you pointed out, Alex, not written by a Denver native. It's written in British. Yes. S's instead of Z's and throwing in some random vowels here and there that, that we wouldn't otherwise have. Um, but the, the Queen's English, the Queen's English, there you go. It's, it's the proper English as they are in England and we are not, uh, but they go through these five myths. Number one, myth number one is an identity management program, um, should be highly customized. And the truth is if you adopt the 80, 20 rule or the Prieto principle, um, 80% of the functionality can be deployed out of the box using those features. Myth number two, IT teams cannot support IDM evolution. Is that true though? I, I don't even know if I know that myth. Yeah. I, I don't know. The myths in this were a little bit, um, I don't know, self-serving. It's like, yeah, maybe hey, so. we have some points we want to talk about. Let's make some myths up to talk. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, just talking about that IDM could play a pivotal role in digital transformation wider in your company. Yeah. And there, there are more myths. I don't think we need to go through all of them, but uh, interesting stuff there. And, and certainly some really good points about how identity can be used to make your customer and your workforce uh, uses better. And our final news item for the week, uh, Virtual Armor had a blog post. Uh, talking about uh, spring cleaning. So, you know, it's springtime. Maybe you should take a little bit of time to review your security practices. And they gave a list of different things that it would be good to take a look at. Some of those are reviewing your password guidelines, uh, auditing your current cybersecurity program, making sure your endpoint protection protocols are up to snuff, um, ensuring you have up-to-date software. That's always a good one. Uh, reviewing and doing some training around your cybersecurity protocols and maybe doing a tabletop exercise. Or a pen test. Or a pen test. So good stuff to do. I don't think it's just spring, but it's a good reminder to, to take a look at these things. Yes, spring is that time when everything comes anew. So yeah. let's make sure we're, we're doing all those things. Well, moving over to our Slack message of the week. Um, this is an opportunity for us to, to highlight some great conversations that's happening on the Slack channel. Big thanks to Andre Gaeta. Andre has been sponsoring this for us for a long time now. Um, the per the one who wins the Slack message of the week gets one free item from the Colorado Equal Security Store, which is a cafe press store with cool branded stuff for us. Speaking of the cafe press store, I just bought some new stuff this week, Rob. What'd you get? Um, I got a new t-shirt. Um, You're not wearing it. I'm not wearing it today. Um, I'm weird. I have to wash my t-shirts before I wear them. Um, 
I also got a, a coffee mug. I was jealous of someone who posted on the Slack channel with the, the white coffee mug with the black inside, so mm. I got one of those. And then I also got a, a hitch cover with the Colorado Equal oh. Security logo on it. So if you see a, a car riding around town with a Colorado Equal Security hitch cover, that, that could be me. Um, now I need to get a hitch installed just so I can get a hitch cover. Yes, you should. All right. Well, our winner this week is uh, is Alan Gordon. Alan had a number of different posts this week. Uh, that he's been quite active in the channel for a while, but uh, big thanks to, to him. Specifically, we want to call out, he posted a CSO article about trends uh, that are happening in security, and he's pulled out some examples from there to talk about. And I thought that was worthwhile uh, for us to comment on. Awesome. Congratulations, Alan. We'll get you your note and you can pick something from the store. Well, let's uh, move over to our events. Uh, as we have been talking every week, uh, coming up June 4th through 6th, the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference is here in town. Uh, we're just over a month out from that. It's hard to believe it's it's creeping up that fast. Uh, so if you haven't registered yet, you should go out and register. Um, RMISC.org and uh, go check that out. And one of the things I wanted to talk about this week um, one of the pre-conference trainings, uh, Chris Merritt, who is the co-founder of Vector8, uh, they do training around threat hunting here in town, and they're going to be presenting a class, full-day class on threat hunting. So if you want to learn more about how to be an effective threat hunter, you should go ahead and, awesome. and check that out and, and sign up for is that class. Is there a cost associated with that one? This is one of the, the paid pre-conference workshops, so there yeah. is a cost associated with that. Uh, you can find out all the details on the website. Awesome. Uh, as, as we go through the next couple of weeks worth of events, I will remind you that we do have a calendar of events on colorado-security.com. Go out there and you can not only see the next couple of weeks of events, you can look out all the way to the end of the year. We have quite a few events on the calendar. First, on the 30th, the uh, National Cybersecurity Center is doing a cybersecurity essentials um, attack target where they're doing a deep dive on the Sony Pictures case, so or the case study, excuse me. So you can learn about what happened with the Sony Pictures hack and uh, get some more details that hopefully can help you get better with security in your company. Also on the 30th, SecureSet is doing a Capture the Flag, one of their cybersecurity hackathons. On the 2nd of May, Splunk is doing a uh, first Thursday meetup at Topgolf. This is uh, free for anyone who signs up. You can go do some Topgolf and talk security with Splunk. That'd be cool. Uh, Cybersecurity Colorado Springs is doing their Cybersecurity First Friday on May 3rd, so check that out. SecureSet is doing a Hacking 101, creating a virtual lab with AJ Menendez on the 6th of May. And SecureSet is also doing a Hacking 101, creating a virtual lab, lab on the 10th. All right, so moving over to jobs. Uh, we have a couple of jobs that are working with me at Ping. Uh, we're hiring a junior product security engineer. This is someone who's gonna, who has a development background. Specifically, we need someone who's got Java development skills who wants us to help embed security into the software development lifecycle for our products. Um, and if you have some more experience doing that, we're also looking to hire a team lead uh, focused on helping embed security into our different products. Um, so if you have a little bit of management experience or you're you know, a good software development lifecycle person who wants to get some, some team lead experience, this is a good role for you. Reach out to me on the Slack channel or go ahead and apply on a pingidentity.com. STARS is looking for an executive director of IT security and compliance. So this is the backfill for Steve Wastel. We had Steve on the show over a year ago. And yeah. He's been uh, like Kung Fu, uh, traveling all around the country, looking for wrongs to right in the last year. So he and I just chatted the other day, and it looks like this is a role that they're now serious about trying to backfill more aggressively. 
Uh, next, another security lead role. Uh, Trimble is hiring a cybersecurity director. Um, this is over their cybersecurity group. Really, this is their CISO level role. This is a uh, replacement for Clay Parker, who has moved over to doing consulting um, and still in the area. Congrats, Clay, on your new gig. And we're looking. hopefully we can help find a great backfill there at Trimble. Carbon Black is looking for a SOC manager. Coalfire is hiring a consultant focused on penetration testing. Sumo Logic is looking for a security, compliance, and privacy analyst. And I will point out that uh, George, who's the CISO over there, uh, said even though this said Redwood City, he actually wants to hire it in downtown Denver. Um, so this this is okay for local, even though it looks like it might not be. Next, the state of Colorado is hiring a senior cybersecurity engineer. Red Robin is hiring a senior security analyst. And finally, Kaiser Permanente is hiring a cyber countermeasures undergrad intern. Sweet. That yeah. sounds exciting. It does sound exciting. I assume this is a summer internship. Uh, well, that is it for the news this week. Uh, next, we have a feature interview with Julie Smith. I sat down with Julie. Um, she is currently the executive director for the Identity Defined Security Alliance. Um, this Rob, is a, Rob, what is the Identity Defined Security Alliance? You know, I'm not going to go ahead and ruin this for, for you guys. Listen in. You'll find out what it is. But I will say this. It is headquartered here in Denver. This wow. is an international group headquartered in Denver. Um, and learn more. And Julie has a great background, not only there, but also working in a number of different security organizations. Awesome. I look forward to it. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, enjoy the interview. And then we'll talk to you guys again next week. Thanks, Rob. This is Joshua Fultz, CISO at eFolder. This is Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. All right, this is Rob Reck, and I am here with Colorado Equals Security, sitting today with Julie Smith. Julie, you are the Executive Director for the Identity Defined Security Alliance, the IDSA, as it were. Yes, and, I am. And, I, and we're going to just tease a little bit. People, <laughs> people are probably curious what the Identity Defined Security Alliance is, but I'm not going to let you tell them right now. <laughs> okay. First, um, I, I really want to know about where you're from. I understand you're from a small town and, and a been a beautiful part of the country. Uh, so talk to us about where, where are you from originally? Yeah, so I, um, I grew up in Sarasota, Florida. Um, my family actually is a, I'm the third generation Floridian. Hmm. So kind of all, you know, been in that area for a long time, which is very hard to find. So how far from Tampa is Sarasota? Yeah, so Sarasota is about an hour south of Tampa. Okay. It's on the Gulf Coast. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's it's a beautiful setting. People from all over the world travel there to yeah. go to the beach, and that's where I grew up. <laughs> so. I was I was out in uh, at St. Pete's Beach at the, mm -hmm. the Don Cesar yep. rec recently, and like the, the sand is unbelievable. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy how, how soft the sand is. It is. It's like perfect. yeah, it's like powdered sugar yeah. almost. Yeah. So Sarasota, yeah. well, and that just that whole coast right there, St. Pete all the way down, probably to Naples. Uh, and Marco Island gets voted best beach. You know, they all sort of trade off, I think, in the world yeah. um, and have been for quite some time. So, yeah, beautiful area. Yeah. So so you're, you're from there. And did, is that where you went to, to elementary and high school and all that? I did. Yeah. I grew up, um, grew up in Sarasota Elementary, junior high, high school, Sarasota Sailors. Actually, interesting thing. I was just back in, uh, in Sarasota for the, the long uh, weekend. And this is a, a community that is grounded in circus. So Ringling circus. Brothers, yeah. Hmm. So it's the winter home of the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. I guess that may not, not anymore, even right? exist anymore, <laughs> but it was growing up. Uh, in my high school that I went to had uh, a circus 
that it was basically a student circus, a youth circus. Really? And it's been going on for 70 years. And so this weekend was the 70th anniversary of this youth circus. Holy smokes. So yeah. when you were in high school, were you a part I of was, the circus? I was not a part oh, of the circus. Absolutely. I know, that would so have been a great angle, right? So disappointed. Yeah. No, yeah. I was not. Actually, and uh, my brother and I were talking about whether we had friends who were in the circus yeah. or not. So, so uh, you must have thought about it at least. If you had been in the circus, Running away. What, would, what would have been? <laughs> your your role in yeah circus. that's a great question because I mean and, and these are like kids anywhere from you know 14 to 16 17 mm -hmm. years old right um, and they did everything you could imagine juggling and they did the clowns although I can honestly say I didn't really get the clown thing going on um, but probably um, yeah, it would have to be the flying trapeze, the flying just that trapeze. sort of feeling of, yeah. you know, flying That's, through the amazing. air. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty cool. Most so. likely to die, maybe? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Maybe lion tamer, I don't know which one's. Yeah, yeah, no animals in the circus, but uh, anyway, so that was just sort of like a flashback cool. to uh, my high school days this past So the weekend. Sarasota sailors were also circus people? Yes, yeah, yeah right. they had this volunteer circus, so huh. yeah, it's kind of, it's just sort of in, ingrained in the culture in Sarasota. Um, great, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. Actually, the other little known fact about Sarasota, Florida, if you ever happen to go down there, is um, there's the largest collection of Rubens in the Ringling Brothers, uh, or Ringling Art Museum. Of Rubens? Down there. Like, yeah, Rubens, the painter, the like painter. the Renaissance, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. I would, I wouldn't have <laughs> yes, that. I know. Yeah. Yes, in a tiny little town in Sarasota, yeah. Florida, so. Yeah. Uh, so you yeah. you ended up leaving there when you went to college, right? What, what, I did. Yeah, I went off go? to um, a little school um, called Stetson University. It was over uh, on the East Coast, uh, outside of Daytona Beach. Hmm. Um, so not too far away. Not too far. A couple, three and a half hours. Yeah. And the reason I went there is to go. I actually played tennis as a kid, so hmm. I, I couldn't be in the circus because I was spending all my days hmm. on the tennis court, actually hitting tennis balls. Uh, Pretty much nonstop, yeah. um, and so I went over. I played tennis my freshman year uh, at Stetson University, yeah. and a uh, small little uh, Baptist college, and uh, uh, yeah, did that. And after my freshman year, decided that there were more important things to do, like study, of course. Um, and yeah. so, so you, you yeah. stopped playing tennis. So I stopped and playing tennis exactly and started studying my okay. freshman year. So and what, what did yeah, you study? I was an accounting major, hmm. um, so. Kind of went down that path because it, uh, it it was a liberal arts school, which actually was kind of interesting because had a very strong business school, but for the most part it was a liberal arts school, heavy music, um, and uh, just went down the the business track. And the accounting professor who headed up the accounting department had the highest pass rate for the CPA exam wow. uh, in the state of Florida. So really solid program. Yeah. I thought maybe that I wanted to. Uh, become a CPA, but um, after a couple of years under uh, under his studies, I decided that probably wasn't the right path. Hmm. So, so um, you studied. You studied. You got your accounting. Yeah, my accounting degree. degree yeah, four-year yeah. accounting degree. Um, came back to Sarasota and just sort of happened on a small organization. It was about 80 people, a software company that had been recently acquired by Arthur Anderson. Okay. Um, the big eight accounting for yeah. big eight at the time. Yeah. We, we, and, we, we know Arthur Anderson as, <laughs> as the ones who uh, are the blame for... That's right. For took the blame. Right. Took the blame. Yeah, whatever. For it, right? <laughs> You're right. I should, be, I should be careful. Allegedly, and, yeah, and they really and, didn't do anything wrong, apparently. Yeah. We find out way later, but it still ruined them anyway. Yeah, it yeah. did. Um, and so stumbled on this organization. Yeah. So 
my accounting background came into play and uh, so do you have any yeah. kind of a software or technology background at, at, the, time? at the time I didn't know I took a computer class in college yeah. and was lucky to escape there with the C I think and, um, and so you got yeah. a job at a software company what doing yeah. accounting or what were you doing no it was uh, actually started out in customer support so okay. you know this is back in um, night shame to say this but 1987 okay. um, and it was right after there was a major tax law change uh -huh. um, and uh, they were basically staffing up for customer support people so you know to handle basically all these tax to hands, changes whatever to handle accountants calling in right. and uh, asking you know hey this this program doesn't seem to be working right. right can you tell me this is the calculation I expect you know why isn't it giving me this calculation so as you can imagine um, bunch of stressed out accountants yeah. leading up to April 15th and, and yeah. I'm on the other end of that phone uh, answering their trying to answer their questions. So, so it's your job to take the call and make them happy. Take the call and make them happy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually think everyone in technology should have to be a call center agent at some point. I agree. Like to deal with the really where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Right? That's I think that's a really good experience. Well it's true, right? And then I mean you just you think about certainly all the things that you read about um, around Simon Sinek and you know you, you sort of put the customer at the center and you think about um, put yourself in their shoes, right? And and I think having that experience so young and right out of college is sort of being having to be empathetic to what the customer is going through yeah. has always uh, resonated with me and how I've kind of led my career probably took me into product management and all those things where all you're doing is sort of thinking about what the customer needs and um, you know just putting yourself in in their shoes yeah um, so, you, so you did customer uh, I guess tech support basically yeah. or yeah, customer support yeah. Um, how, how long did you stay there on the phones before you found something else? Yeah, it was about two and a half years, well, I think. Good run. Yeah, yeah so you, I did you stick get good around. At it. Yeah, I did stick around for a while, um, and I got yelled at quite a bit, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Um, but it's a great way to learn, right? I mean, you're having to really sort of figure out um, the details, the guts of of what's going on in the application. So from then, I, I moved on to the business analyst side of things. Hmm. So now evaluating tax law changes and IRS form changes and how does that translate into um, the software itself. I wasn't actually doing the coding, um, but you, handing you were the, one the saying, logic. Here's the I was effectively writing the, yeah. Yeah, writing the requirements and writing the logic, handed that off to a coder who would then translate that into um, into you know the compiled code that would then uh, generate tax returns. Um, and then just kind of moved up through the ranks from there. Ended up leading a, a big team. By the time I left, it was a team of probably 70 people um, that were responsible. And this was still the software, the this little software all, company within Arthur Anderson? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We had grown uh, probably to a couple hundred people at that point. Okay. So it was the firm was using the software to prepare tax returns, not just for individuals, but for S corporations and partnerships and C corporations. Yeah. That was my area of expertise. And then we also sold it externally, so kind of had, yeah. you know, both sides of, of the equation. Um, so yeah, I spent ten years at Anderson, and you know, it's it, one of the things that's interesting to me if I look back on it from a career perspective is the the focus on professional development. I mean, back then, and 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 certainly within a professional services organization, their professional development part uh, was huge yeah, and, and played such an important part in my. Um, my growth as a professional in my career. Can you give any examples of like what that investment by the company looked like day to day for you? Um, it was more of an investment 
it, it wasn't as much on a day-to-day -day basis. So Arthur Anderson um, had a campus. They bought a university, small, I think it was a women's college, up outside of Chicago in St. Charles, Illinois. This was a, a campus. Mm -hmm. um, dorms, classroom facilities, the whole thing. Yeah. And um, they would bring in uh, people from all over the world uh, to come in and train, whether it was on you know more technical topics or more professional development topics, leadership, um, even things like you know at the time you're essentially buying into a partnership, right? So there's a financial element to that as a partner when you rise up through the ranks right. of the organization. How to manage your money, how to get ready to buy into mm. a you know something like a, a professional services partnership that was seventy thousand employees at the time when yeah. I left. So it was. Um, it was the the firm overall had made a huge investment, and so we would go up periodically uh, for classes and courses, and yeah. um, you know just how to be how to be a good you know professional. Yeah. Anything resonate for you that like you, you took if you take away one or two things from your time at Arthur Anderson, like this is these are the most important things from that that experience. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think I I always. I think starting out in customer support to your, you know, back earlier that I think that is a great place to start. I think you do have empathy for the customer and that, that puts you, you know, your mindset in a different, mm -hmm. or puts you in a different mindset um, as a professional and how you engage with your customers, whether it's directly, you know, yeah. through providing services to them or what you're building on their behalf. Um, I just preparation, you know, um, I think is, is, you know, being prepared for, um, what you're gonna, what you're doing on a daily basis, meetings or or your day or your week or um, planning ahead. Planning, I think, was a very um, important ingrained part in what we did. Um, yeah, okay. you got me on that one. Oh, it's a, it's a good answer. Yeah. So you were there for about a decade. What what ended up, you know, being the precipitation for you to leave? Um, I made a decision to um, change my life <laughs> and the oh. scenery in which uh, I guess I was. You know, I, I had had grown up in Sarasota. I'd gone mm -hmm. off to school not too far away and decided yeah. uh, that it was time to really kind of just make so you, a change. You came back after college. You spent Ranch a decade yeah, in, this, a in decade Sarasota ago. still, and it you were ready for go. something new. Yeah. And was, so did you did you throw a dart at a map, or how did you pick where to go next? Um, I had been out to Denver enough and really more skiing in the mountains, so mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a skier, just yeah. probably like most people who move here. Um, and so I had been out to Colorado and... Uh, enough to know that it just felt comfortable. It, was a, yeah. it just seemed like a you know a great city, um, growing, um, big but not too big. All the cultural things you'd need, sports, you know, right. that just kind of ran the gamut. So. So you stayed in Sarasota and you found a job that would relocate you out to Denver. No, yeah, <laughs> I wish. What'd you do? <laughs> uh, I packed up and moved. You just uh, did it. Yeah, huh? I just did it. Um, yeah, just decided that this was the place that I wanted to be. I had a couple of contacts here, but I didn't have anything lined up specifically and um, moved out and just decided I would figure it out. Yeah, so <laughs> so. so you moved here, it sounds like probably in the 98, 98 time frame then. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and what, you got here and you started looking for a job? What, I, got, you I got here, I started looking for a job. Uh, I ended up, you know, one of the things that was interesting about Anderson it was the, the, the culture, just a very strong culture. And you're working with very smart, very dedicated, very passionate people. Mm -hmm. And so when I started looking for my next thing, I was trying to replicate that, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I found it a little bit challenging. And I, I would joke that I had a hard time 
holding a job for a while. Mm. So um, I ended up with a small consulting company um, who that basically the office had started because uh, US West at the time was a client of this company and okay. that was the only reason the Denver office existed. Right. Uh, so I joined them. I think they changed names two or three times <laughs> while I was there just in about a year. Yeah. Um, and, and so did that for a year and then... Were you doing pro uh, product it, it management? Was, or it, was project, it was more project management. Project management yeah. Sure. Um, and some uh, developing some training materials for new consultants to come on board. So um, yeah, I kind of branched out a little bit. I, I kind of think of myself as product management and project management, program management. Um, in the early days was sort of my background, um, and this was something different. So, yeah. you know, kind of took a little bit of a, a turn in my career path and uh, decided to, to see where that would take me. Okay. Um, where did it take you? <laughs> it took me, um, actually, it took me out to Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, for about six months. Out to um, Redmond? Or, or, yeah, so okay. I, um, Anderson at the time, uh, had licensed some technology, or not licensed technology, excuse me, licensed content to Microsoft when Microsoft was starting up TaxSaver. Okay. I don't know if you know. I don't remember uh, that yeah, product. so this is yeah. like yeah, 1999 they uh, Microsoft wanted to get into sort of the the into a game basically right. Microsoft Money, Microsoft TaxSaver okay. um, and uh, and so that group needed some expertise of somebody that had developed software before, tax yeah. software before and my Arthur Anderson friends called me up and said Hey, can you yeah. you know go help them out? So I went and spent about six months out in Redmond, thinking. So are you to are you to uh, give the credit for how Microsoft's tax saver has taken over the world <laughs> over the last twenty years? Yeah, I think they shut it down to <laughs> about two years later. What they learned is it's hard. Mm -hmm. That's hard stuff. I hate. Yeah, yeah I hate you to. You don't dabble in that. No, you definitely definitely not. I mean, it's a it's a pretty significant investment. Yeah. You know, you've got to have the expertise. You've got to. Be able to turn stuff very quickly because you don't know what the IRS and yeah. the states and all of that's going to do. So yeah, so I'm I'm super curious. You know, all of this tax, tax software tax, tax. somehow somehow we're going to get to identity, and I'm cur I'm curious <laughs> yeah. where where this is. It looks like you you did work for Brocade as well. I did, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I got into uh, storage area networking through okay. McData. Actually, McData was a, a Colorado company. Hmm. Um, joined uh, McData as a program manager. They had acquired a software company out in Silicon Valley, um, early, early agile folks, actually. Hmm. And uh, McData was very um, traditional waterfall manufacturing, hardware manufacturing. They acquired a company who was, you know, sort of Silicon Valley, agile, right. very quick. Um, and the and those two organizations kind of clashed. Yeah. Um, and so they needed somebody to come in that could kind of help bridge the gap bridge there. the gap between the two. And so that was that was my role. It was to uh, to be out of Denver but yet uh, work with uh, this organization that yeah. was new to the new to the company. Yeah. How'd that go? Um, it was good. I learned a yeah. lot. <laughs> I learned an awful lot. Um, learned a lot about Agile, learned a lot about uh, just software uh, and, you know, a different type of software, right? Sure. Um, something that was a, a little bit more um, visual, I suppose, because it, it was basically a discovery tool um, and a management tool yeah. at the time, SAN management tool. Okay. So, 
stayed with, yeah. See, my career has kind yeah. of jumped all over the place, yeah, right? I, I see. But then, <laughs> finally, we're getting yeah. to getting to how I got involved in identity. So yeah, McData acquired Brocade. They were evil enemies. Um, those two companies came together, and and I stayed through the transition and then left okay. uh, to to uh, join Ping Identity at the so, time. Actually, so you it looks like did you join Ping as a head of the product management? I was, at the time? yeah, I was. Um, it was er, as, so as a very young Ping Identity. It was a very young Ping Identity. Yeah. So that was in January two thousand and eight. Mm. Um, less than a hundred employees, and the product management function was really kind of just you know trying to get some. Um, structure and and discipline around yeah. um, you know putting together product roadmaps and as opposed to being very reactive to yeah. what specific customers wanted you know how do we take something to market and, 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 and uh, sell it to lots of customers in 2008 that would have been a single product right at right Pink Pink Federate. Federate, the Federation you know SAML exactly uh, SAML tool basically yeah at the time so you came into yeah. a, a less than 100 person company and, and got to Got to be part of you know, build, basically building out a new product or building out the product to be a world class. Right. Like. Yeah. So yeah. How, how did that, you know? I've gone through the transition of coming into identity company without being an identity person. At least I was a security person previously, so I had a little bit of context. How how long did it take you to figure out this whole identity world? Yeah, it's, it's that, kind of complicated. That, yeah, that's a good question. It did take me a little while. Um, I sort of attached myself to the CTO. Yeah. at the time um, and and then spent a lot of time again back to the the customer focus side of things mm -hmm. right spent a lot of time um, out talking to customers and understanding what they were trying to do and um, you know in in the context of presenting a roadmap to them then having those conversations so I sort of learned it through the eyes of mm -hmm. customers um, which gives you a little bit different perspective yeah. than sort of you know down in the guts the the stand identity standards and that kind of it's thing. It's almost it's almost like a, a salesperson in that you're you're just trying to hear what the problems are, right? Exactly. And then figure out what the solution is. And of course, difference is as a salesperson now you try and say, well, here you go, I got something that'll that'll fix that. And of course, you're saying I'm going to go build something that'll fix right. that. Right. Exactly. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it's a great way to learn. Right. Anytime I think uh, you know you can see things through the eyes of the people that are that are dealing with it on a day to day basis, yeah. it gives you a whole different perspective. So you didn't do product management the whole time at Ping? You also you made a, a, a change at some point? I did, yeah. So I did product management at Ping for two and a half, three years, I think, um, and uh, and then transitioned into product marketing. So mm -hmm. you know, you kind of just sort of following the path, right? Continuing to build out my skill set um, based on the needs of the organization and just based on my interests as well. So. Yeah. You know, product management and then learning about what customers want and then kind of flipping that and turning into product marketing and how to go tell that story. Yeah. So uh, for those customers. who don't know, I think you just summarized it, right? Product, product marketing, maybe you could give, you know, a, a two paragraph description of what that means exactly. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, um, it's telling the story of uh, how, you know, how your technology or how your solutions can help solve the problems that they have, right? Mm -hmm. um, and trying to stay away from the speeds and feeds side of it, but more focused on um, business needs and, um, you know, the value that your your technologies can provide. So, And, um, and where, where would like a, uh, a practitioner in the field, where would they run into par product marketing? Is this is this what's coming in the emails to people? Is that or that a different function? That where, where does your work go out to the world as a product marketing? Yeah, person? I think it goes out to the, in in terms of the stories that the customer or sorry that the sales organization sells. Yeah. So you know, helping to equip them um, with with stories and use cases 
um, that they can talk to customers about, right? These are the these are the problems that we're seeing across the uh, across the customer base or the prospect base, and and you know here's how we help solve them. Right. Um, and it is through content that shows up on the website. Um, it's solution briefs and data sheets and um, all of those things. You know, it's uh, it it is manifesting itself through emails that go out to customers. Right. Um, so I think about it as you know, really sort of the experts on the product and the experts on the market, and how do they tell? Yeah. How do we tell that story? Tell the story to customers. customers. Yeah. So you did that for about two and a half years, and and you know, you and I did not work at Ping at the same time. Right. You left we before did, I yeah. got here. So, um, what happened? Yeah. So uh, I, Ping was a fantastic place to work. Um, I I loved every minute of it. Andre had created an amazing culture. Um, and it was it was time for a change for me, so I, I took some time off. Um, got a chance to travel, which was a lot of fun. That's yeah. sort of a passion of mine. Um, where'd you go? And oh gosh, where didn't I go there for a while? St. Thomas, just for oh, you know, fun little getaway to the beach. Yeah. I'd never been growing up in Florida. Why would you go to another wow. beach, right? Yeah. Um, Patagonia, the Argent Argentinian yeah. side of Patagonia. So that was amazing. Was there for about two weeks, um, hiking. Uh, which was fantastic. You know, it's just yeah. absolutely gorgeous down there. Um, and then South Africa. I was in South Africa for a couple of weeks yeah. as well. This is awesome. So Good yeah, for you. yeah, it was it was time to kind of just take a step back and focus on, um, you know, what was making me happy. Yeah. And uh, and that definitely is going and experiencing yeah. other cultures and seeing uh, different places uh, was the main focus for that. So, so kind of a little bit of a of a a breath during your career. Take, exactly. a, take, a, take a minute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I did that and uh, and then, you know, kind of ease back into it because I didn't want to write, you know, don't want to jump full, uh, full into full time right away. So I, I worked part time for a little while um, with a uh, kind of staying in the identity world and mm -hmm. still staying in the ping identity um, ecosystem, if you will, and work for a, a system integrator that was headquartered here in Colorado. Yeah, Peg, Peg Wright. We've talked Peg about Wright. some yeah. jobs there Peg in the past. I know that cool. now they're now they're not Peg Wright anymore. But right. They got acquired by now. Yeah. Yeah, and that gave me an opportunity to see things from the services side. Right. Yeah. So I had been on the vendor side, um, really for all of my career, but specifically in a, in identity and security, I'd, I'd been on the vendor side, and so this gave me an opportunity to see things yeah. a whole new world. Right on the services side. Um, very much a different different approach and uh, helping customers solve different problems. And mm -hmm. at the time, uh, you know, was, we were probably full blown into the the skill set shortage. But um, it was great to, you know, to see things from that side yeah. uh, of the customer problem. Yeah. Which then kind of took me into Optive. Um, so I joined Optive in 2016, and that was really when I first got my first introduction to the Identity Defined Security Alliance. Yeah, so so high level, what was your role at Optive when you were first hired there? Yeah, so at Optive, I was uh, the Director of Solutions Marketing for Identity and Access Management. Okay. Uh, so my primary role was to support uh, the practice, so the delivery side, yeah. and, and then the pre-sale side. So Optive has a a team of identity experts that um, sort of overlay to their broader sales organization that just sells uh, identity solutions, technology services, et cetera. And so my responsibility was the go-to-market for um, for Optiv's identity practice. Yeah, and, and how how big a 
practice is their identity? I, you know, relative to pen testing and other practices they have, where does that slot in for, for Optive? Yeah, from a revenue perspective, one of the bigger from is a it? services from a services side, yeah. right? From a from a technology resale perspective, small, right? Okay. Um, but from a services, it. You know, the interesting thing about that group, and it was the leadership for sure um, in the identity practice, but very um, much more mature uh, delivery uh, organization than any of the other hmm. services organizations at Optive. Yeah. So you were there basically like figuring out how, how do we go to market with these services? Right. How do we how do we make the right partnerships? I, I assume we were part of those conversations as yeah, well. Yeah, it was, it was more around the, the partnerships that had already been defined. Okay. So Optive... Um, it does work with everybody, but but the the identity um, delivery group kind of looked at it from a solutions perspective, right? Mm -hmm. And in in some ways, um, were a bit more selective in terms of who their partners were that they were going to go to market with yeah. and wrap their services around. So the it was really how do we bring those two things together and and talk about it in the context of the full life cycle, right? So from yeah. strategic consulting to um, you know, the RFP process and the selection process to the implementation, architecture implementation, uh, and then you know, even into to post-production. So yeah. it was sort of how do you, how do you package up the, the service offerings along with the partners and take that to market for customers? Awesome. So you, at some point, I guess I'm not sure how to transition. Talk to me about the IDSA and like, when did you first become aware of the IDSA? Yeah, so that would have been right when I joined Optive. Okay. Um, and that was about the point in time when um, Optive started to get involved. So, do you so maybe talk about the very the history of where yeah, this thing comes from? So the history of the IDSA is it was started as a Ping Identity Technology Alliance program is how yeah. I think of it, right? And starting, that sounds about right to me. Yes, and, and looking out... The 2015, 2016? 2015, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, this concept of identity-centric security or identity-defined security. Um, and how do you start to, to take the intelligence that exists in these, you know, more traditional security... Um, technologies around user, right? The user context, and how do you bring that in uh, to an identity? Um, in this case, authentication um, and authorization, and make decisions based on that information. So, yeah. real-time intelligent decisions, uh, access decisions to data, and protecting data. So, so the way I, the, when I first got associated with the IDSA, or first time I heard of it, basically when I started at Ping, or maybe right before, um, and it, it really answered the question for me. Not. We'd, we'd said for years that the firewall is dead, in, by which we right. mean that you know, it's, it's no longer the, the place where you can put you know, all your chips on your security program, but we had never really defined what should take its place. So you can't get rid of an old paradigm until you put a new one in place. Right. And, and the IDSA for me was this you know, basically reference architecture to say, actually, you, there is something to replace it with, and, and here it is, right? And it actually showed what are the pieces that you need to put together to take the place of the perimeter-based security program. Right, yeah, very much so, yeah. And so, and, and Ping had driven that with a sev uh, several core, core partners, VMware and Netscope and ThreatMetrics were right. some of the originals. Um, and then Optive got involved because you need a solution yeah. provider to, to take that and I think it's nice solution to market. Also, right? and Ping basically you know, realized that it's, it's more credible if it's not coming by, from one of the people who is providing the services, right? right? Or providing the solution, I guess, the right. software. Well, and we sort of took that to the next level. Yeah. We being Optive said, 
you know, this is something that um, really has legs in terms of more of an industry focus. Yeah. Right. So, um, and that's really kind of where that whole idea started. Um, I was working with Robert Block at the time at Optiv, and and he was involved with sort of helping to architect the early. Um, you know, the, the early reference architecture, if you will, or framework around the IDSA. Uh, we started talking and, you know, felt like this is something that has a, a bigger impact or could have a bigger impact on the industry. Yeah. Um, and so in 2017, we expanded it and brought in another seven companies into that. Yeah. Um, some competitors to ping yeah. um, to try and take it more, um, make it more vendor agnostic, um, right. if you will. And, and then this year, the beginning of 2019, we have 23 companies, uh, both identity and security companies that are members, as well as seven uh, customer advisory board members that help guide us. Um, we just recently um, organized as a, a Colorado not-for-profit mm. organization, so we're now truly a standalone entity. and. Um, working towards becoming a 501c6 trade association so you know the goal is really to be truly an so at some point you know initially ping had created this thing and at some point kind of handed it off to optiv to run and it sounds like there's been some transition from optiv now and like how does how does funding happen and, and i believe you're an employee of this organization right. how's that all work yeah so the membership dues so the okay. members um, pay in and that's effectively uh, what they use it. for the operations of yeah. the organization. So yeah, as of October 1, I became a full-time employee, the full-time employee, I guess yeah. I should say, uh, of the IDSA as the executive director. And, uh, and yeah, have then since, you know, the last two quarters kind of created uh, a standalone entity. It's kind of like, you know, starting up a company, you yeah. know, with all the different things that you have to take care of yeah. that you don't really think about. So, so um, I've had a lot of questions. I, I guess <laughs> let's start off with like what, yeah. you know, this is like your full time thing. Like, right. What is your mission? What's going to drive success for you in this role? Yeah, that's a or, great question. Um, and and if we, I guess the way I think about it is that there's different constituents, right? So there's different stakeholders in this. I think at the, it, our, our ultimate customer for this is practitioners within uh, enterprises or, or organizations. I'll say organizations because it could be government agencies. It could be, um, you know, any type of entity. Practitioners who are trying to create... Um, they're trying to make sense of the chaos that they have today, right? If you think the, the security chaos, in a lot of cases they've invested in lots of different technologies, security technologies, identity technologies, et cetera. How do they, how do they basically leverage those existing investments uh, to become more secure, right? So if identity is still the thing that is the most compromised in, in the way hackers uh, are able to breach organizations and get access to data because that's ultimately what they want to do. And so how do we... How do we leverage the technologies that are already there today to make them more secure by using identity as the, the core thread through all of those different technologies, if you will? So if we can help companies um, be successful in implementing an identity-centric approach to security, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's through frameworks or through telling stories and having customers tell their story of how they've done those, you know, done it yeah. in the past. Right, you think about the the you know the twenty percent that are probably leading the charge on around this thinking, and that they recognize identity as core to security. Um, if we can get some of those twenty percent to tell the story to the eighty percent, then hopefully we can bring everybody along. 
so you, you mentioned some frameworks, and I'd love to hear what is it you guys are. Uh, the goal sounds great, right? We're trying trying to move toward identity centric approach to security. Um, how, what are the tools that you're using, or the the means of delivering this kind of message, this gospel? Yeah. So what we've created today is a, a framework, um, and it really consists of three pieces. So I am best practices. Um, kind of, you know, what's good hygiene? What are the good foundational things you should do as an organization around identity? Not necessarily required, but, you know, smart yeah. things to do and will make an identity-centric approach that much more effective. Um, we define security controls. So um, security controls would be things like access management and uh, cloud access security broker, right, a CASB, and, and what are the capabilities you need in each of those components, and then what happens when you bring those two things together, um, and you share information uh, across those two technology components. So think about uh, authentication and CASB and um, IGA technology, sort of the building blocks, and yeah. then how do you bring those together to become more secure? And use cases are sort of the third component. Um, and use cases are how do you combine security controls to be um, more effective, more to solve more complex business problems. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of the framework that we're building out um, at this point, and and then we'll put the business lens on it as well. So yeah. one of the upcoming. Um, technical working groups that we're going to be chartering this week actually is to to look at zero trust and there's lots of different um, you know zero trust is a, a buzzword right now um, but we believe that identity centric security is the way you can actually implement and achieve a zero trust um, strategy right uh, and so we'll we're looking to come out with uh, a reference architecture um, that uh, helps enable a zero trust uh, approach yeah so I've got the website open. It's idsalliance.org. Right. And, and some good resources under the framework there, use cases, and um, like you mentioned, security controls, best practices, customer stories. If, if there's folks who, you know, great, you have resources and they can browse through the website. What if folks want to talk about this? Is there is there any place that, like, any meetings or any way that people can, like, get more information and, like, interactive information about this stuff. Yeah, so online through the community. Yeah. So register in the community. Um, you can you can join uh, and you know, we're still working to get people engaged and involved and interacting online. Um, we do meetups at some of the bigger conferences. Oh, cool. We sponsor, we'll be at Identiverse, we'll be at Black Hat, we'll be at Gardner IAM. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea is that we'll we'll tell our story through a session, speaking session, panel primarily, yeah. um, just to get you know practitioners and, and experienced folks up and, and telling yeah. their story as well, um, and then trying to get out into the regions and through Cloud Security Alliance and IAM user group meetups and and those kind of things. So we're sort of trying to grassroots. Let's go where the people are that are right. already talking about instead of creating identity, a new right. a new place for them. You're trying to go to where they are. Exactly. That's great. Exactly. Oh, so, I, you know, we, there's a lot of different elements to uh, identity find security, and you can go a lot of different ways. It, for those folks listening who maybe, you know, this is a new concept to them, are there any like critical few things that you could point out to say, like, hey, these are the places to get started with a, a, a transition? Yeah, that's a great question. We've had uh, lots of conversations about maturity models, and you know, here are the five things you need to do. And um, where we've we've started 
uh, is sort of helping out with just the foundational elements of things, right? So if you go to our blog, you'll see there's a couple of best practices blogs that have been written recently. Um, and that's focused on you know, what's good IAM hygiene. So mm. just starting out there, because I think identity is still hard. Um, and, and I think one of the challenges as well is that identity is still very much rooted in, in the operational side um, of an organization and not so much security. So um, we're trying to cross-pollinate uh, that as well yeah. so that, that CISOs start to, to think about identity as strategic to their mm -hmm. security strategy. Um, but I think that's you know starting out with uh, just reading through the blog and the customer stories just to kind of get a, a, a feel for exactly um, you know how can you implement this within your organization? Yeah, I'm, I've got that open. It looks like uh, best or IAM best practice blog series. Uh, several things going on there yep. folks can use to to get smarter in that area. Um, are, are you looking for anybody to help you guys? Do you, are you looking for volunteers? Anything you want? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the community is one way to do it. You know, if there's, um, if there are uh, vendors that are interested in 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 participating and helping us to further the yeah. mission, you know, certainly reach out to me through the website um, or julietidsalliance.org. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the more the more hands uh, in this problem, the better. Um, so if, if let's say at the end of I'm going to give you a little time at the end of 2020, 18, you know, whatever yeah. it is, 20 months from now. What would make you like wildly happy if you have if you've accomplished what things for I, through IDSA in that time? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say that if we have an active community, hmm. um, so practitioners are sharing best practices, um, they're talking about the integrations that they've implemented with success, or you know maybe they're sharing tips and tricks on how to make it better. Um, and, but people actively engage in having conversations around this is approach we are implementing in our organization and his, this is what's made us successful and you know this is what we recommend to others and, and helping each other uh, fast track that process. This it, is awesome. I'm, I'm excited to hear that you, you guys have turned into a nonprofit so you can really go after this without the same um, profit motive, you know, which kind of changes the way people do business. Right. Um, that's exciting, and I think you, know, you guys are the, the best hope for um, kind of an open approach to zero trust that I've seen out there. So I'm excited to see it. Is there anything, I've asked the questions I needed to ask. Yeah. Is there anything that you wished I'd asked that I hadn't gotten to? That's another good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you, I think you hit on pretty much everything, okay. um, other than maybe, you know, Hey, Julie, I'd love to get involved in the IDSA. Hey, Julie, what can I do to, to get more involved in the IDSA? Rob, Maybe put you, on, put you on a podcast? I would love, that would be great to put me on a podcast. Yeah, and I would love to have you involved as a, as a CISO helping guide us in the awesome. right direction. So, well, I, I, Like I said, I am a, a big fan of what you guys are doing. and Anything I can do to help support it, I will. Um, if Anything else for the community before we call it an interview? I think that's it. Awesome. This has been great. Well, thanks, Julie. Yep. It's good talking to you. And for the rest of the community, we'll talk to you guys again next week. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.